Welcome to the Life Church. We are so excited that you've tuned into our program to listen to a wonderful message. On behalf of Pastor Walt Landers, our senior pastor, we just want to say thank you. Our mission here at the Life Church is to connect people with God's purpose. If you don't already have a church home, we want to invite you to join us at 3301 TLC Way. Now let's prepare our hearts to receive a word from God through this morning's message. Hey, this is Pastor Daniel. Today we want to celebrate uh, communion. You know, the Thursday before Easter is known as Monday Thursday. What does that even mean? Well, the word Monday comes from a Latin word, and it means command. And right after the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, Jesus gave a very specific commandment to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And so Monday Thursday is a very special day. It commemorates the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or as we call it, communion. And so I'm going to read from a passage of scripture out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 23. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he betrayed, he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So hopefully you've had some time to gather up some type of a cracker and you're in place there with your family. So let's just break off a piece and pass it around to the family members or whoever's with you there. This bread is very special because it's symbolic. It represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he was nailed to that cross by his own free will. He was following the commandment of of God, his Father. And I'm grateful, and I know you are, that he took our place on the cross. And so as we partake of this bread, let's just focus on the fact that his body was broken for us. So Father, we do thank you for this element that represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's partake. In verse 25, the Apostle Paul goes on to say this, After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So take whatever juice that you have available, and let's partake here in just a second. This juice is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed at Calvary for the remission of our sins. And I am so grateful for that, and I know you are also. So, Father God, we thank you that this juice does represent the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't take it lightly, but we reflect on that fact that he died for us and for our sins. Let's partake. In verse 26, the Apostle Paul says this, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now that's exciting news. The Lord is coming back. But until he returns, let's remember the new commandment that he gave each one of us, that we love one another even as he loved us. Amen. And he made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, Good Friday represents the beginning of change. It represents the fact that resurrection is coming. 
but but the crucifixion was necessary. You know, there were those on the way to the cross that tried to talk Jesus out of going through with this. Peter picked up a sword and tried to change it. Uh, Jesus could have called in angels at any time to come deliver him. Pilate pleaded with Jesus to speak up for himself, but Jesus was on a mission to complete redemption. And he had you and me on his mind. He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of, of mankind and, and the punishment of sins. And so when Jesus started that day and, and, and went through the courts and, and had to carry his own cross and, and, and carry all those burdens, the, the, the worst day of all time, Jesus had you and me on his mind. And when he, when he was nailed to that cross and, and took the punishment for our sins and became the mediator, uh, uh, to take all responsibility. You know, the Bible says that, that he washes our sins uh, uh, as far as the east is from the west. And so it was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross. Even though it was hard for him, he made a way and paved a way for you and me. And so as we celebrate today, we're celebrating, uh, we call it Good Friday. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, good in the sense of what happened, but I'm telling you, it paved the way for Jesus to become the high priest of good things to come. So as we focus today on what Jesus did, on the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet and the crowns on his head and, 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 and even the blood that was spilled when they stabbed him on the side, he was ridiculed by those who were near him. They were gambling right below him. And as we celebrate today, Realize that that power of the cross paved a way so that we could celebrate resurrection. And so today I want to encourage you as, you, as, 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 you, as you're in this mode of, of celebrating to think about what Jesus did for you. There's nothing that you go through on this earth that his cross didn't take care of. Every sin, every hurt, every, every part of brokenness in life or even in, in times that happen that we don't understand Jesus understands agony. Jesus understands pain. And he loves us so much. The Bible says that God gave his only son because he loved us so much that all we have to do is believe. And so today I encourage you to just, just, just take a moment and celebrate the fact that Jesus was willing to take our place, even though we deserve sin. And listen, salvation, salvation is free, but it didn't come cheap. It cost Jesus his life. And so I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you today for your, your willingness to take our place. We celebrate the fact that you went to the cross, that, that, that you were willing to take our punishment and become sin in our place. And because you became that mediator, Father, you made it possible for us to celebrate and us to go to the places that you want us to be. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 23, 56b. But they, the women, rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. In the story of the most significant three-day period in history, Good Friday gets hundreds of verses, and Resurrection Sunday doesn't get cheated either. But Saturday gets this half verse and five others about the chief priests and Pharisees convincing the Romans to place the seal on the stone and station a guard at the tomb. That's it. Friday is confusion. Sunday is clarity. Friday is darkness. Sunday is light. Friday is despair. Sunday is joy. But Saturday, Saturday is the day after this, but the day before that. It's the in-between day. In the Old Testament, there were numerous third-day stories. When Abraham was afraid he'd have to sacrifice Isaac, the substitute ram appeared on the third day. When Joseph's brothers were in prison, they were released on the third day. 
When Rahab hides the spies, they're safe on the third day. And when Esther fasted and prayed for her people, the king welcomed her into his presence on the third day. There's a pattern. On the first day, there's trouble. On the third day, there's deliverance. And on the second day, there's nothing. It's just a continuance of the trouble. But this second day, come on, God the Son is dead and we get nothing. Here's the thing, we've all been there. A loved one has passed. The funeral is in a day or two. You're numb, you're in shock. The world has stopped for you, but it goes on for everyone else. That's where we find Jesus' followers on Saturday. Maybe a few of them gathered to remember, to remember the things he said, what he taught, what he did how they felt when he called them, the way he spoke their name. They remember their hopes and dreams. They were going to change the world, but now it's Saturday. And they don't want to say it, but deep in their hearts, they're trying to come to grips with the realization that Jesus failed. Jesus ended up a failure. We understand Saturday. It's the day your dream died. You wake up and you're still alive. You have to go on, but you don't know how. Worse, you don't even know why. John Ortberg says the problem with third day stories is that you don't know it's a third day story until the third day. It feels like Saturday is the day when nothing happens, but that's not quite true. Silence happens on Saturday. You know what the most common type of psalm is? The psalm of lament. God, where are you? God, why aren't you listening? Max Lucado says, Saturday's silence torments us. Is God angry? Did I disappoint him? God knows Jesus is in the tomb. Why doesn't he do something? Or in your case, God knows your career is in the tank, your finances are in the pit, your marriage is a mess. Why doesn't he act? What are you supposed to do until he does? You do what Jesus did. Lie still, stay silent, trust God. Jesus died with this conviction. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Jesus knew God would not leave him alone in the grave. And you need to know God will not leave you alone with your struggles. His silence is not his absence. Inactivity is never apathy. Saturdays have their purpose. They let us feel the full force of God's strength. Had God raised Jesus 15 minutes after the death of his son, would we have appreciated the act? Were he to solve your problem the second they appear, would you appreciate his strength? We live in a Saturday world full of hurt, pain, disappointment, and even death. But Sunday is coming, and that changes everything. God, as weird as it sounds, thank you for Saturday. It reminds us that in the midst of the silence, you're still there. You haven't left us. You haven't abandoned us. You love us. We matter to you. And Sunday is on the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, in just a moment. You know, when we, when we think about resurrection, you really, you know, we've already built, I know, uh, kind of coming up to this moment, even in our message. But sometimes in life, we can, we can focus on small moments. And in those small moments, we miss the bigger picture. We miss maybe the, the greater thing that, that God may have been at work doing and, um, and I pray that this is an encouragement to, to all of us uh, that um, uh, when we look at the Word of God and we look at the actual greater, bigger plan that God had and has uh, that will maybe view even our own circumstances right now with what we're going through a little different. Here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. I believe that was the, the, the 
what was happening right then. He opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed with a, in, a, in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And then I want to really focus in on right here on verse 49 on what, what I believe that Jesus is, is really talking to him because this is now post you know, crucifixion and resurrection. And he says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I love that translation, the way the New Living does that, is, and Jesus emphasizes on the other side of of all the, all the suffering, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, ultimately that his desire was that now the Holy Spirit would come and fill all of us. And we know that this was the heartbeat of God. We know that from the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1, we, we, we see where even with creation, God's desire was there to create man in his own image, his own likeness, to be an awesome spirit being with infinite potential. And yet, the fall came in because of the bad choices. We know, we see all that. Free moral agents, they, they went there, did that, and, and messed up. And yet, the, there was already a plan laid in place for all of that to come back around, for our lives to be able to be uh, embraced by his great love, to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to be sanctified, to be set apart for his work, and ultimately to be filled with his spirit. And so I want to talk to you about what does that look like? How does, how does that unfold for us in, in, uh, as Christ followers? Because just like when Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was there in that beginning moments where this, this, uh, this individual wanted to find out, who is Jesus? What is he about? You know, what, what's going on here? And he began to talk to him about being born again, born of the Spirit of God. And, uh, and so here... We see that Jesus is continuing to give focus to this, moving forward for those who are followers of him. You don't camp back here at just crucifixion. As wonderful as that is with the price that was paid and with all the suffering, everything that led up, thank God for all of that. It wasn't just in his death and his dying and what took place, even in, 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 in the transfer from Abraham's bosom to heaven and all the other things theologically that we could go into. It is about now for us right now in the nasty now and now of being able to see heaven on earth, being able to to see and experience the, the greater fullness of what God wants us to, to live out in life, not with him just in the distance, not with him just somehow under some kind of religious format of do these things and then you can, you can be forgiven or be accepted. Or No, it's about a relationship. And God is about this relationship and it being so vital and so real and so tangible and experiential that he has sent his spirit for us to be able to be inhabited and filled and live a spiritual life. So it begins with a divine nature 
God, we know that, that in this, it, 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 the born-again nature of God, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, is, it, he comes to, to cause us to come alive. Ephesians 2, 2 talks about that you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he's quickened now, he's made us alive. So we know that there is a, there's a, a inward transformation. Again, you'll, you'll hear me say a lot that I'm not into outward behavior modification, that this is about inward transformation by the power of the Spirit of God working in us. And so, so we want to look at this and we want to, we want to focus in on that. Uh, Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's about God now being our Heavenly Father and his Spirit within us. That is made possible. And so when you accept Jesus, you are, you are translated from darkness into light. The love of God, the Bible says, gets shed abroad in our hearts. But the biggest aspect of this is that there is a transfer or a transformation of our inward being into the very divine divinity of God that comes to live now on the inside of us. Instead of somehow just, because I've heard people say this, you know, yeah, I believe in the old man upstairs, and, and it's this distant kind of thing. No, if you are a Christ follower, if you have said yes to Jesus, you need to become God inside-minded. He now lives within us. And then not only is there a divine nature within us, but now there is also a, a divine life, a spiritual life that God wants us to begin to live out. And in a big part of that is now not just not just the beginning part to where we receive Him as Lord and Savior, where we receive the Holy Spirit and the divine nature of God, to where that's that's the that's the beginning. But now He wants an outward working of that to where we produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this in Galatians five twenty through twenty two through twenty six. It says, "But the." Fruit fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live in the Spirit, we uh, let us also walk in the Spirit." But the first part of that is learning to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That is through development. When It's called fruit for a reason. We're going to talk a little bit about the gifts of the Spirit in just a moment. But, but fruit is developed. Fruit is grown. When you think about a fruit tree that has and produces fruit, there, that, that, that tree... And now it doesn't strain and agonize over trying to produce that fruit. No, what does that, what does that tree do? That tree puts the roots down and begins to draw and, 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 and take the nutrients needed from the soil, from the environment that will produce the fruit. In the same way, for us to experience a divine life, the very spiritual life of God to flow out of us with, with, with the fruit of the Spirit, and, and, and you can go back to that list and look at that list and, and really think about, am I seeing development of these different areas? Because these specific areas, Paul said, are the fruit of the Spirit. 
the fruit of the Spirit. And so think about that, go to that, and then, well, how do I, how do I really produce it? You've got to get your roots down in the, in the spiritual things of God, in the Holy Spirit, in the Word of God. You've got to, you've got to attract and, and draw out the nutrients of, of the, of the, from the heavenly uh, things that God gives us. Um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that out of the mouth of God. There, there are things that we need to be able to uh, uh, absorb the nutrients to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit of God. And so there is a divine nature that this begins with. It is a development of the fruit of the Spirit that begins to work. So if you catch yourself to where you're, you're seeing something come out of you that's, that's contrary to this, th- these areas, it may be that you just need a checkup to spend some more time in the presence of God to, because something starts happening when you're in his presence to where I believe you're able to, to absorb the nutrients needed in that. And the last thing is divine power. And Jesus talked about it very specifically there in, in, in verse 49, here in Luke's gospel, 20, Luke 24, 49, where he told them, listen, guys, it, this is awesome now that you're following me up to this point, but I need you now to spend some time waiting to ensure that you are endued with power, with the Holy Spirit that comes with power. Acts chapter 1, 7 and 8 says, And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We need to sometimes just let some of that go. Stop trying to figure everything out. Stop all the conspiracy theories and all the junk that's flying around. Just quit it. What is God saying? What is God doing? If God is reaching people, if more people are coming to Christ, more people are reading their Bible, more people are buying Bibles, more people are open and hungry, just open your eyes. God may be up to doing something that is far beyond whatever else in the natural may seemingly be happening. And we need to look and capture that. And if God is saying, listen, you don't worry about the times or seasons, but you shall receive power. This is the same word dunamis or dynamite that where we get the word dynamite. It is the power of God. And when we receive the Holy Spirit and he's come upon you, He says, you'll be my witnesses. In other words, there is this boldness that happens. And you see this continuing to live out and play out. Acts chapter 4, you see another place where the, where the, the, the Christ followers there, the d- disciples are there, and, and they're being threatened. And it says they go to a place of, of prayer. And it says that the place where they were at was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. That word boldness is the parousia of God. See, when we're a witness, all of a sudden, that word is about being a martyr. It's about, you know what? We're willing to go the course, do whatever's necessary, to boldly in this day proclaim Jesus as Lord and boldly live our lives aligned to the word of God and to be different than the rest of the world. I'm not, we don't have to be ruled by fear. We don't have to be somehow terrorized by all the different uh, conspiracy theories and all the stuff that's flying around out there. We can live as Christ in this earth and live with kingdom focus and kingdom business and keep advancing the work of God. 
God desires that for all of us, but you've got to be filled with his spirit. And it starts with making Jesus Lord of your life to be able to receive the divine nature. We grow and develop the fruit of the Spirit, but then there are gifts that are available. I challenge you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, and look at the gifts that are there that are promised to us as Christ followers. And look at the life of Jesus, how he naturally flowed in those gifts. God wants us to begin to move in those places to do that as well. I trust you have been blessed as my friends have shared with you about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth and what it means for your life. As an epilogue, I would like to reflect with you about the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus for God's redemptive plan and how, in fact, it changed the universe forever. Before Jesus came, the created reality of heaven existed separate and apart from the creative reality of the physical universe including the earth. You might say they were on separate planes of reality. Every once in a while, a messenger angel from heaven would appear and everyone who saw it would appropriately freak out. And then in a monumental event, a heaven citizen, the son of God didn't just appear, but actually came to earth as an embryo. Heaven's first breaking in to our physical universe. What we see in scripture is that heaven and earth are made for each other. Heaven is God's throne, and earth is God's footstool. They are indeed a matching set. The person of Jesus is the first blending of the two, as he was and now is fully God and fully human. The resurrected Jesus has a glorified body, at once comfortable on earth and in heaven. The extraordinary thing about Jesus' ascension to heaven is that for the first time in history, a living, breathing human person with a heartbeat is currently in heaven. Not just souls awaiting a bodily resurrection, but a fully flesh, fully spirit being who has begun this coming together of heaven and earth. Next, the resurrection of Jesus is the initial display of God's power over sin, death, and the grave. The power that raised Jesus to new glorified life is the self-same power that has now made powerless the sin that inevitably leads to death. Now, death is just temporary as we await full resurrection at the return of Christ. Next, the ascension of Jesus made way for the Holy Spirit, himself God, to be poured out on all who confess the name of Jesus. So those Jesus followers can bear the image of God like never before, with new power and new identity. Finally, the resurrection of Jesus was the inauguration of the full and complete reign of God. That resurrection day began a dismantling of all pretended human power until they are all subject to the reign and rule of God through Christ. That will be complete when, at the end, we shall see what John of Patmos saw and recorded in Revelation 21. Behold, I saw the new heavens and the new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now with the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And so we live in the space between the resurrection and the return of our Lord Jesus. We live in this 
already and not yet. And as we see the expansion of God's reign, we can be assured, as the Apostle Paul writes, that our labor is not in vain. For all our obedience and all our kingdom-building work is an expansion of the empire of God, a reign that we can be certain will one day be comprehensive and complete. In other words, you matter. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's program at the Life Church. Our prayer is that you've been blessed by this morning's message and that God would continue to speak into your heart throughout the week. We are so excited about what God is doing right here at the Life Church as we connect people with God's purpose. Again, if you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us for a visit at 3301. TLC Way. We have two Sunday morning services for you to choose from, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Again, our prayer is that you've been blessed and we hope you have a great week.